right now on Matter of Fact. There's mourning in America. Meet one of the high-profile Republicans behind the unrelenting attack ads targeting President Trump. We are essentially a group of former Republicans who have decided that to save the Republic, we need to remove Donald Trump from office. What to expect from the Lincoln Project in the days just before and just after the election? Then, should the media be neutral on every issue? I'll tell them that it has to be truthful, it has to be responsible, and more importantly, it has to be fair. Plus, how giving up your favorite pair of sneakers today could help save the planet tomorrow. A little soul searching about our carbon footprint. But first, imagine a presidential contest too close to call on election night with intrigue, violence, and mistrust. It happened 20 years ago. What can we take from Bush and the Bush-Gore election? When you have a close election, it can be stolen. What will happen this time? Can we be sure every vote will be counted? I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. Ten days and counting till Election Day. And it's anyone's guess what will happen at the polls on November 3rd and how long it could take to declare a winner, especially because of the number of mail-in ballots that will need to be counted before the vote can be certified. The country has waited for results before. 20 years ago, the results of the presidential election were on hold for 36 days. Texas Governor George W. Bush, the Republican candidate, and Vice President Al Gore, the Democratic candidate, were locked in a legal battle over the vote count in Florida. Eventually, a U.S. Supreme Court ruling made George Bush the winner by 537 votes. The HBO documentary film, 537 Votes, debuted October 21st on HBO and HBO Max. The film chronicles the events that led up to the chaotic recount in Florida. All of a sudden, there are problems. It's too close to call. This triggers an automatic recount. The rules were changing minute by minute. You had dimpled chads and hanging chads and pregnant chads. It was so farcical. Al Gore won the state of Florida, but Miami made sure that at least 10,000 ballots never saw the light of day. The election was lost in many different places, but it was stolen in Miami. The film's director, Billy Corbin, joins us from Miami. Billy Corbin, so nice to have you. Let's take a step back. What can we take from Bush, uh, the Bush-Gore election, maybe election night and all that followed that is applicable today in 2020, do you think? The 2000 presidential election and in, in Florida recount, I think, was a loss of innocence for a lot of Americans when we started to, uh, those of us who were alive for it, began to distrust many of our institutions, be it the media, the Electoral College, the uh, United States Supreme Court. And I think that rift or that fault line that broke in really in, in South Florida in 2000, um, I think set a tone for partisan politics in this century. And I think it it, it cracked wider and deeper over the last 20 years and, and really defines where we are now. We know that Bush Gore was decided by 537 votes, hence the title, uh, after several recounts. Um, what was your conclusion at the end of completing this documentary. The lessons are elections matter, your vote uh, matters. You need to vote, I mean, not only in presidential elections, but in down ballot races, because a lot of these local officials have a very influential part. You know, elections are run by counties, 
you know, not by the country, by counties. And then they are certified and counted by the state and then eventually might wind up in the U.S. Supreme Court. And I think two things are very misunderstood. Number one, kind of how much the local situation really impacts a national race. And I think your movie really highlights that. And then number two, I think people think elections just happen, right? And they don't think about the funding and the money and the infrastructure that has to go into actually making elections happen safely and securely and consistently. I think that uh, we have to remember that all politics is local. And these people have a lot of, of power and control. They have a lot of influence locally. And that ultimately, when you have a close election, it can be stolen. And then that, that, that brings that much more influence and power to these people who can pick up the phone and call you know, uh, county mayors and even canvassing board members who are responsible for counting these votes. Your documentary makes the case that the Elian Gonzalez um, case, really, uh, about whether or not to return little Elian Gonzalez, who was five years old uh, after he was found alone on the raft, that actually was central to what happened in the election. And I'm curious if you think there's something that's, that is the Elian Gonzalez event in 2020. I don't think there is a direct corollary of the event of Elian Gonzalez to 2020, but I think the demagoguery and the red baiting that took place in the Elian Gonzalez issue is I mean, they're extremely prevalent now. I mean, the, the falsely labeling your opponents uh, communists or, or socialists. This movie is being released just really, you know, less than two weeks before uh, an election. Uh, what's your goal? And I'm hoping that people realize you not only have to vote, but you also may have to fight legally and otherwise to have your vote counted. Billy Corbin, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you. The HBO documentary film 537 Votes is now on HBO and HBO Max. Coming up, the country has been captivated by a series of unapologetic attack ads, shrewdly produced by a group of conservative strategists. What's behind this bold move? And later, a look at the plan for vaccinating the nation against COVID-19. Who will be the first and last in line to get the shot? Welcome back, everybody. In December of 2019, a group of well-known Republican strategists and party operatives wrote an opinion piece in the New York Times. They announced the formation of the Lincoln Project, an effort to, quote, defeat President Trump and Trumpism at the ballot box. Then, while they say they have big differences with the National Democratic Party, they seem to be working on the Dems' behalf this election season. The Super PAC is targeting swing state voters with anti-Trump ads, earning both hate and praise in the process. Here to talk about the Republican Party in the Trump era is Fred Wellman, a 22-year veteran of the U.S. Army, and he advises the Lincoln Project on Veterans Affairs. Fred, it's so nice to have you. Thanks for being with me. Um, let's talk about who makes up the Lincoln Project and what exactly the Lincoln Project is. The, uh, the Lincoln Project is a unique group. Uh, many of us, many folks know our founders, our eight co-founders, uh, Steve Schmidt, Reed Galen, Rick Wilson, George Conway, of course, uh, 
uh, Jennifer Horn from New Hampshire. Uh, we are essentially a group of former Republicans and current Republicans who have decided that to save the Republic, we need to remove Donald Trump from office. And our mission is simple. We you know, defeat Trump and Trumpism at the ballot box. Some of the issues that your founders have said very publicly, because they're all on Twitter, what they don't like about Trumpism, the bullying, uh, the embrace of white supremacy, the racism, the bigotry at times. What Donald Trump represents is the worst of us as a nation. He seeks out those who, you know, the racist, he seeks out the xenophobia, he seeks out the anger, and he, he parlays that into power. And it goes against our basic values of decency, and, and, and now we'd like to see some bipartisanship once again, you know. It's just, it's just not the Republican Party we knew, and it's not America. The racism and the xenophobia and the bigotry didn't start, obviously, with Donald Trump. That, In fact, some of the founders were the actual architects of some of the messaging around campaigns that really, I think it's fair to say, flogged um, uh, distrust and hatred. So aren't you guys, generally, and I'll say guys, but I mean there's women too, in some ways responsible of this thing that you're now trying to deal with? There's no way to deny that, right? Obviously, we can't sit here and say, well, those of us who are Republicans and my, 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 my colleagues here at the Lincoln Project weren't part of the movement that led us to Donald Trump. He didn't just pop out of nowhere. You're absolutely correct. Clearly, the Republican Party has been very effective in using these issues um, to power themselves to power. We all recognize that the, the things we did in the past did lead to these moments. And, and there's been a, a bit of a, clearly there's been a reckoning. And I think, you know, people change. Uh, I was a Republican my whole life. And then Donald Trump came down the golden escalator and I stopped. And that's why we've made it a very clear mission to, you know, essentially revoke what we did and, and go forward with a new direction. What's the end, end goal? Does it end after the election? We have concentrated our efforts specifically on Trump and specifically on, well, now about 11 states' uh, Senate races to flip those specific Senate races so that we can take over the take over the Senate as well. We are not trying to start a new party. That's not been discussed. There's a lot of rumors about that. Um, we're not trying to save the Republican Party. Trump has had four years to sow this division. He's had four years to find allies, and, and those allies are sprouting up like weeds. I think we're going to see years to come where Trumpism as an entity and the authoritarian nature of that party will still have to be stomped out. So our mission, I, it will in some way continue. So last 10 days as we head into the election, what's the focus there? So our goal here for the last 10 days is very simple. Convince even just four to five percent of Republican voters who gave Donald Trump a chance in 2016 to forego that this time. It doesn't take much of Republicans to say, you know, this time I'm comfortable placing a D instead of an R on that ballot. Fred Wellman is with The Lincoln Project. Thanks for talking with me. Coming up on Matter of Fact, we address the question you've been asking. How do we bring our backgrounds and our viewpoints and our experiences to the stories that we tell and at the same time remain fair in our coverage of the day's events? Hear the first-hand accounts of three prominent journalists. Plus, your carbon footprint looks a lot like your sneakers. If the sneaker industry was a country, it would be the 17th largest polluter each year. Let's have a serious talk about your kicks. Every journalist faces the same challenge. How do we bring our backgrounds and our viewpoints and our experiences to the stories that we tell and at the same time remain fair in our coverage of the day's events? As part of the Matter of Fact listening tour, we're examining the issue of bias. Today, we take a look at bias in the media, whether it's real or perceived. 
To discuss the issue, three prominent journalists, Maria Inajosa, anchor and executive producer of Latino USA on National Public Radio, Luis Rios, the director of photography for the San Antonio Express News, and matter-of-fact correspondent, Joey Chen. Thank you to all of you for joining me. Uh, Luis, may we begin with you? You've been doing your job as really a, a documentarian in a lot of ways, a photojournalist, um, for a long, long time, more than 40 years. Talk to me a little bit about your team that you send out into the field. Are they racially diverse? What kinds of conversations do you have with them about kind of their point of view as they're looking through their cameras? The one conversation that I constantly have even though we've been doing it for so many years, is to look at the viewfinder, tell me what they're looking at. It's strictly interpretive, obviously, and very subjective in what we do with still photography. It's an incredibly powerful medium. And the one thing that I always preach, and I'm old enough to preach now to them, I'll tell them that it has to be truthful, it has to be responsible, and more importantly, it has to be fair. And in the heat of the moment, and in editing and in shooting, you have to still remember that your job is still to capture that one photo, that the two photos, the 10 photos, that encapsulate the message that was gonna go through people's minds the next day. Uh, Maria, I, I want to talk to you for a minute about bias in journalists because I felt often that as journalists of color, if you will, there was a sense that, well, you're going into the story and you're a Latino, so you're going to be biased. Or you're African-American or you're Afro-Latino, you're going to be biased. When the default was that the white journalists didn't have bias, that that was something that the journalists of color sort of had to overcome. How Was that something that you had to deal with and how did you deal with it? Oh my God, Soledad, it's the bane of my existence. <laughs> I write in the book, uh, Once I Was You, about this experience of being a, a, a budding journalist, the first Latina employed at NPR in the news division. And so my editor, a white man from the Midwest, said to me, oh, come on, Maria, we all know about your agenda. And I was like, my agenda? What are you talking about? And he said, oh, come on, we all know about your Latino agenda. And I was horrified and thankfully, Soledad, I was on my toes that moment and I said, well, but then that means that you have a white male agenda. And he said, no, but it's not, the, it's not the same thing. And I said, no, it is the same thing. I don't have an agenda, you don't have an agenda. I'm a journalist, good Latino, bad Latino, whatever, you know, there, there's not, you're not gonna like approach a story like that. You're gonna approach a community with interest to report then I did say, you know what, I do have an agenda. I want people to feel something with my reporting. Joey Chen, building off of what Maria was talking about, often in newsrooms there's conversations about objective truth. And, and I'm not sure everybody understands what objective truth means. How did you deal with that definition of objective truth? What does it mean to you? Young journalists are the ones who are sort of pushing this into the, into the conversation, that they're questioning this myth of objectivity. 
we should have confronted this a long time ago, right? What is fair? What is full? What is full disclosure? What is stenography journalism? Maybe we should be looking at that, you know, just, just recording, well, he said this and he said that and he said this and he said that. Is that journalism? No, that's just stenography. And that is a thing that I think we have to fight against. Think beyond just recording a statement. If you're doing that, all you're doing is perpetuating the propaganda of, of one viewpoint or another. That's not journalism. It's understanding the context of things and being able to analyze it, to assess the factual accuracy, and then to be able to tell those stories. To learn more about bias and its impact on our lives, go to matteroffact.tv and watch our special, The Hard Truth About Bias, which includes guests like Oscar winner John Ridley, comedian Trey Crowder, the former NBA player Atan Thomas, and journalist Jamel Hill. Plus, you can take a look at a social experience where total strangers meet to discuss confrontations that went viral. Just ahead on Matter of Fact, where's your place in line for a COVID-19 vaccine? We'll tell you who's likely to be first and who will have to wait. And attention sneakerheads, your kicks are causing a climate catastrophe. to a weekly feature we like to call We're Paying Attention, even if you're too busy. Earlier in October, the National Academy of Medicine published its recommendation for the distribution of a COVID-19 vaccine, if and when we find a vaccine. The guidelines should help you see where you'd be in the line. Commissioned by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the 237-page proposal outlines four phases for vaccination. Phase one would give priority to healthcare workers and emergency responders and people with underlying health conditions and also older adults who are living in group settings. Phase two includes all the other adults over the age of 65, K-12 teachers, school staff, and childcare workers. Also in this group, essential workers in places where social distancing is difficult. So that would be like group homes or prisons or meatpacking plants. Phase three would include children, young adults under the age of 30, and other critical workers. And phase four, everybody else. One other note on preparedness, the U.S. government is planning on stockpiling 400 million syringes by the end of December to ensure the ability to give those shots. Next, our love affair with the sneaker. The average American buys seven pairs of sneakers per year. How our comfort shoes are putting stress on our planet. Finally, it's footwear that pretty much everybody has, the sneaker. It's been almost 200 years since the athletic footwear was first made. In 1839, Charles Goodyear, yeah, that Goodyear, invented vulcanized rubber, which helped create the foundation of what was eventually called the sneaker. Since then, we've seen practical pairs used for exercise and sports to pricey ones that even make appearances on the red carpet. But there's a downside to all of those sneakers. If the sneaker industry was a country, it would be the 17th largest polluter each year. And MIT researchers found those eco sneaker brands, usually made from recycled materials, well, they only reduce emissions by less than 10%. And out of the 2,556 shoes tested, only 89 are classified as eco-friendly. So what can we do? 
The average American buys seven pairs of sneakers per year, and researchers say the best thing you can do is buy one less pair every year, which can cut your carbon footprint by one-third. It certainly is worth considering. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and we'll see you back here next week.